subatomic gigantic occasion was a sweep in Japan nation when along came a dude with an ultra attitude, a common Morado, the greatest kicker of Japan. And of all man. Last you short now, baby. To not talk big now, baby. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, back to a brand new episode of Kaiju Conversation. I'm your host, Elijah, and joining me, as always, my lovely co-host and editor. Hello, I am Rex. We are back at it again here for the final week of Kaiju Month. It's already over? What do you mean? <laughs> I honestly, like, it's kind of weird to say that because, like, jokes aside, it, it, it doesn't feel like we've done a full week of this or a full month of this. What do you mean July's near the end? It's it's only just oh, begun. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So, I, full disclosure. Because I feel like of we say a this all the time. Huh? <laughs> I feel like we say this all the time. Uh, not all the time, just when we're like backlogged with ton of uh, tons of content, but for for anybody who is confused by what Rex is meaning here. So, with G-Fest coming up, at, by the time this comes out, G-Fest that has came and left, and a ring showing that has came and left, we mm. decided to record our weekly episodes in advance so that we could make sure the content gets out and Rex and I don't die. Yes. So. We might still getting, die, though. We might still die. Who knows? Maybe by the time this comes out, like, we've already died. So this is like the final recording you hear of us, period. My One of my friends finally got, like, his license. So, like, I could honestly die any day, pretty much. So <laughs> you need to edit this quickly and get it yeah, posted. Yeah, I do. So, I do. Yeah, yeah. Because when I got my license, I ended up wrecking a car twice. <laughs> and thanks, one of the, Thanks for the vote of confidence. One of the cars I, the, my first car I wrecked in a week. My second car oh, I wrecked no. in a month. Th thanks, man. I You're really welcome. need, I really needed that reassurance. My, Thank my you. first car died in an accident where a car hit me at 50 miles per hour on my side. Mm. And somehow I walked out perfectly fine. You see, last time my friend was in a car accident, I narrowly avoided being in the car that day. I remember you telling me about that. <laughs> Didn't one of them go to the hospital? I mean, yeah, all three of them who were in that car went to the hospital. Honestly, I don't know how I got out of my car accidents without... So the second one was just a simple bumper, like, collision. That I get, but, like, the this minivan quite literally hit my door at 50 miles per hour. And I walked out like I, I had no bru—I had a bruise. I had a bruise on my collarbone. Mm. I didn't have a concussion. Didn't have any other injuries. No cuts. No, no nothing. Like all my memory was fine. My hearing was fine. I, I like I quite literally walked out pretty much unscathed. The only thing hap that yeah. happened was my seatbelt locked, and so when I got thrown, like it just. You know, the seatbelt hit my, my collarbone, so I had a bruise there, but that was it. Right. 
my phone also went flying. Uh, I had my friend at the time, his and I's phone were like sitting in like the glove box or like the center compartment. And when we got hit, they flew out of the window across the street. But both <laughs> of our phones were perfectly fine. Like cars were driving over them. They weren't crushing <laughs> them. Yeah, it was it was awful. It was awful. But I was like, I don't my, my friend had a minor concussion, which messed with me a lot because, you know, driver's guilt. Um, yeah. But I was like, how did I get out of this like perfectly okay? Like it was on my side, it was my airbags. Like it's so it was so weird. So weird. And then like I said, the second one was like a front bumper. So like that one I was going like ten miles an hour. So it it wasn't anything to be like, oh, I'm gonna die. Um so yeah, it's it was it's been it was really weird. It was really weird. And then I've been in a few other like bumper things, walked out fine. But no, that first car accident I was in, like I don't know how I didn't have like a broken bone or or anything like that. Yeah. But besides besides car accidents and all that, how have you been otherwise? I've been pretty alright. Um, it's funny because like, honestly, it doesn't feel like a week's past. I, for me, for me, it's been like, okay, G fest, G fest. Like that's, that's my big thing. So I think as of my last, as, as of the last recording, I had just finished my short film, I think. Yeah. So like that was every, like my whole life was work and short film. (laughs) And now that that's done, it's been like, okay, work and get to G-Fest for my short film. I, I there, There's really been no transition, it feels like. Um, so, like, for me, it's it's been just honestly working. I've, I've just been working <laughs> and <laughs> getting ready for G-Fest slowly but surely. How about you? Oh, it's been, it's been all right. Had, had a couple of fun days with the boys uh the other day <laughs> so i've heard <laughs> may have scraped my knee up a little bit but uh it'll be fine see the the craziest thing i did was as of this recording like the day of this i spent like 330 dollars on clothing yeah i i i don't do that typically <laughs> we'll see like i bought two overshirts one t-shirt two pairs of shorts some sunglasses two pairs of shoes and honestly i think that was actually it but i also bought some like merchandise i bought like a the uh funko blacklight mothra mm-hmm. uh the funko pop i bought that i got an ultraman comic mm. got some movies some j-horror stuff so that's pretty exciting Ooh. yeah yeah, I got a Takashi Shimizu Shock Labyrinth 3D. Yeah. Um, I got, I think it's Hamaji Escape from Vampire Island. Okay. Um, and then I got, so I went to my old job, and I was looking at our at the what they had in stock, and they had a Katakawa 
horror anthology DVD set. And it was oh. four it was four like shorts under the label of Legends. So it doesn't have anybody attached to it that's like major. Mm-hmm. Um but I was like five bucks, I'm gonna buy this. We'll <laughs> see what's on here. So I bought it. I'm I don't know when I'll have time to watch it. I still have to watch uh I got the Japanese remake of Cube. The Blu-ray for oh. that came out and and I still have to watch that. So I need to um, watch that. I, re- I I really like the uh I saw the original Cube not too long ago and I really enjoyed that film so I also I've... have to watch all the scary true story stuff cuz I have that DVD as well. Ooh. Nice. <laughs> Cuz that was that was the stuff that basically birthed the ring, right? With Norio Suruda and Hideo right. Nagata and whatnot. I don't think the Nakata one is the same thing. I think it it's like I want to uh, I don't remember the exact distinction, but there's like there's like one series that's like Hontoni Yeah, something like that. And then there's one with a title that sounds almost exactly the same, but like one word is slightly changed. So I don't remember if the Nakata one's like, I don't remember if the Nakata one is part of the same, like sort of thing as the Saruda ones, or if it's different, I don't remember. <laughs> well, so actually wasn't, so the Nagata one was the film crew that was filming, right? That short, Pardon? it was the Nagata, the Nagata short story that, that really birthed the ring was the one where the film crew went to film at a haunted house and, after they developed the film, they saw that there was somebody on the film, right? Am I remembering are correctly? About, are you talking about? Uh, you talking about Ghost Actress or Don't Look Up, as it's called in the West? Or I don't, I don't think so. Admittedly, I haven't seen Don't Look Up or the Nakata's Cursed Death Spirit, which is like the Hontoni one's American title. Here, let me see. No, uh, yeah, okay, it is. Don't look up. Yes, that's that's what I was thinking about. Yeah, that that is quite literally the progenitor to ring. Does this <laughs> from have I, from what I'm told? Does this have a DVD release? Don't <gasps> look up. Yeah, it has a DVD release. Oh yeah. my god, it's fifty dollars. Jesus. No, no, this isn't the right one. What are you? What are you looking at the DVD for the 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 Netflix one? Uh, this is something with Eli Roth in it. Oh, let me. If I can find it, I'm just gonna buy it right now. <laughs> like that. That is one of those uh, films that I've been really interested in. Yeah, but speaking of J horror, have you? I've seen you've been watching at least a bit of Tokusatsu recently, or some movies. Yes. Um, before I I tell you mine, uh, Rex. While while I'm trying to see if I can find, don't look up. Have you wow. watched any? Leaving the floor to me. I bet well, I I'm like I really want to see if I can find this. Film. Damn. 
Well, I actually have watched a bit of Tokusatsu this week. I've been finally getting back into Ultraman Max and Kamen Rider V3. So I recently watched the the second Akio Jisoji directed episode of Ultraman Max, which was <laughs> and was his last Ultraman episode ever since he died like a couple years later right and it's a really really good episode <laughs> is it a fitting conclusion to his it, it it's a very interesting episode because it's a sequel it is it's a sequel to a showa ultraman episode even though max is a standalone series this one episode is a strange exception where it's a sequel to an Ultraman episode, but there's also like this sort of meta aspect to it near the end where there's like the antagonist alien has his house is essentially a warehouse with various Ultraman merchandise from like the Showa series up till Nexus, and there's even like ultra suits in his house like there's a Cbozu suit that which at one point just moves on its own and isn't commented on <laughs> oh there's like a methless suit in the background zarab etc etc <laughs> it's it's a really interesting episode it's kind of funny in a modern perspective cuz i guess the whole to to boil down its message to into its simplest form is basically phone bad but it's 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 genuinely a really interesting episode hmm and i'm up to the rider man i'm in the middle of the rider man arc of common rider v3 so i only have 6 episodes left <laughs> oh wow yeah so after that, you will have finished Common Rider, Common Rider V three, and haven't you watched like Kuga? I've seen Common Rider V three. Well, we'll soon have finished V three. Black Kuga, Fies, X Aid, Build, Gaim. I I messed up the order a bit. And Amazon's both seasons. Black Sun, and I want to say that's it. I might plus like one. Shin Kamen Rider. Yeah, Shin Kamen Rider Zeto J, the other Shin Kamen Rider, the first, the next, and oh, and Gates. I'm also because I'm I'm keeping up with Gates each week. Gotcha. gotcha. Speaking of keeping up with Toku shows, Ultraman Blazer just had its premiere today. And now we've officially dated this episode. So <laughs> I was actually excited because it's it's kind of funny how – so today is A.G. Subaraya's birthday. Mm -hmm. Ultraman Blazer well, came out. Well, one of his birthdays. Huh? One of the birthdays people – because there's like three different dates that are considered to be – A.G. Subaraya's birthday from different What, is sources. he some sort of, like, J-horror character now? Like, what? Because, <laughs> like... Because, like, I think the official... The officially recognized one is either July 8th or July 10th. But 
there are some sources which also say July 5th was when he was quote unquote actually born. I don't I don't know which one is really the correct, but yeah. <laughs> See, we were talking about J Horse so much that now I'm just like Aju Subarai's vengeful spirit that <laughs> You don't know that that created monsters, and you don't know when he was born. Mm. But yeah, I I saw the Blazer premiere, and it was pretty 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 good. <laughs> I've seen clips, and to me, it looks like Blazer. And I and I've heard an interview with the Subaraya chairman that Blazer was meant to be more artistic, more original, and take the take the franchise out of the anniversary shows and out right. of the new gen tropes and bring it back to like fresh content. And yeah. how is that looking? Is it oh, promising? It, it's, yeah, it's very promising. It's a lot more grounded in its like feel. I mean, this episode is mostly just, it's pretty much entirely just centered on the, military dealing with a kaiju but just the approach to it is a lot more grounded and realistic mm -hmm. in comparison to how most ultra shows particularly new gen shows tend to deal with you know this sort of drama <laughs> mm -hmm. interesting so yeah i mean it looked cool i liked the i like the, the lighting in the cinematography from what i've seen it looks really good yeah. Um it kind of reminds me of what little I've seen of Nexus with its cinematography. Eh, a little, a little I guess. But I I mean I haven't I haven't even finished 80 yet, so I can't really comment <laughs> on on really any Ultraman Yeah, past. you can't really comment on Nexus, can you? No, I can't. Mm. Disappointing. You should watch I it. haven't even finished Showa Ultraman yet. I'm a failure. Yes, you are. Thanks, man. You're welcome. So beyond Blazer and V3 and Max, have you have you watched any like movies or, or has it just been TV? Well, I did watch, I did very recently watch a Ryuhei Kitamura film known as Alive from 2002. Ah, <gasps> uh, okay. Do you, <laughs> okay. So I'm pretty sure I asked you to tell me because I, I, I told you that watching Versus in Alive made me realize why Toho put him as the director for Final Wars. Right. Do you? So for me, it was I watched. So I started with Final Wars and then I watched Versus and then I watched Alive in between Same Versus. Sort of for me. And and for me, watching Versus, I understood, like, the end with the, the miniatures and the cinematography, and that was like, okay, I see where visually God, uh, Godzilla Final Wars would, would work. Mm -hmm. But then Alive was also like, okay, so the sound design and the atmosphere yeah. kind of gave me that. Was that, did you, do you see where oh I'm coming God. from there? Oh my God, from, like, I was genuinely like surprised how much how much i just recognized and felt final wars from this movie like from like the production design the costume design 
the lighting, like the color sound grading, effects. even the sound There's, effects. Yeah, and yeah. even some like even some specific like moments mm-hmm. just straight yeah. up get basically like redone in Final Wars. I mean, like the Matrix like ripoff scene yes. with the bullet time in Final Wars is done in uh, not versus in Alive as well, even yes, and like the whole. The whole middle of the movie felt like I feel like the middle mo- of the movie when Hideo Sasaki's character or Sakaki's character, the main guy, has like gotten the alien in him, and like the the antagonist sends like the the men to capture him and he fights him. That mm-hmm. felt like both a mix of like the style of that felt like the in-between of what versus did and what would be done on final wars mm-hmm. and just how the action was done. <laughs> See, so I think the next film that's been released by in the United States that he directed is, uh, Azumi. Aragami. It was his next film after life, but I don't think that one's been released in the States. Yeah. Um, so my neck. Oh wait, no, it has. Has it? It has. <gasps> it has. Oh, I might buy this right now. <laughs> but okay. So now that I've purchased Aragami, I'm gonna watch Aragami next, and then I'm gonna watch Azumi. Mm-hmm. But what's been really weird is like watching these films, like. I watched Final Wars and then I went back and I started with Versus and then I did uh, 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 Alive. Alive. And then I'm going to watch Aragami and then Azumi. And then I can't watch Sky High. I know that one's not available in the States, to my understanding. Damn. Um, but that, like. Watching them back to back to back, actually, it has. Oh, I might have to buy that too. I need to stop getting distracted by stuff. Yes, you're killing my hard drive space. But like, what? What? So the whole my whole thing is like being able to watch all of his. So I started with Final Wars, and then going back and watching everything prior to that. It's really taught me, and like, let me see how final wars came to be it's really weird because like with versus and alive i was like wait a minute this makes more sense like Mm. i i'm seeing more of final wars right as 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 i watch his filmography which has made me appreciate final wars as kind of this culmination of of the work he had been doing yeah which with virtually the same crew and cast, a lot of yeah. cast and crew members from from Kitamura's first film versus came back to do like a live and whatnot. Right. I mean, yeah, a lot of the, a fair few of the cast members from versus appear. You've got Tak Sakaguchi as like the villain. Mm-hmm. Hideo Sakaki as the hero. So nice inverse there of the roles. And then it's you even they... have like all the Yakuza guys showing up in like small roles. Right and later. and I'm pretty sure it's the same composer. Probably. Um, I know that composer would come back to some of his tracks yeah, yeah, being reused was. in Final yeah, Wars. Daisuke Yano would come back for Final Wars. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's just it's really cool to see. So and did Jin you kind of get that it. too? 
Yeah. Oh, 100%. I know. I thought that was the most interesting part of the film for me was just seeing all like where Final Wars just came from, really. <laughs> I guess it's kind of like watching uh, like the thing from another world. Is mm-hmm. it the thing? No, it's uh, uh, it came from outer space and Dark Star. Ah, and then right. watching Alien, kind of like that, like seeing that, like the proto version of the masterpiece. Mm-hmm. You'll appreciate that wording. <laughs> um, but no, it's just it's been really cool to to like be able to follow Kitamura yeah. in all of his ventures there. Yeah, I mean, like Final Wars or not, he has a very distinct style. So in that film, and I think it's really interesting to see where it comes from here exactly it's almost like watching don't look up and then watching ring like same (laughs) same concept really Mm, yeah so okay well i'm happy i'm happy that you and i are caught up on on kitamura films now Mm, yes i'll have to i'm gonna have to surpass you soon though well considering i just bought my next one and I already have a Zoomy. I can do a double feature Kitamura night. Well, I can too, because I have Prime Video and I have Shudder. So, and two of his movies are on those platforms. But are you going to watch them in order of release? No. Exactly. You're not cool enough to be me. Wow, okay. So, besides Alive, have you... Is there any other movies? Not really toku movies i've watched a couple japanese films like the original ghost in the shell and and a film from the highly acclaimed suit actor beat takeshi called hanabi or fireworks see i was talking to somebody about go oh i was uh on the one of the most recent kaiju conversation lives we brought up and talked about ghost in the shell a bit but i don't recognize that other title Anabi? Oh, yes. It, it's it's like this Japanese drama film about a a former cop who's just spiraling into depression and and essentially just wants to live his last days with his sick wife. Oh, that's and depressing. It's, it's it's a phenomenal film, man. Huh. It's genuinely one of the best Japanese films I've seen. Interesting. I, I'm gonna have I, to like I can see why people love Takeshi Kitano. <laughs> Interesting. Well, I might have to look into that now. It's really good, man. It's it's really good. I highly recommend it. Well, that's good to know. So you said that was it, right? Pretty much, yeah. As far as I can remember. Now I don't remember. Did I talk about the Robo Geisha Cop short films last yes. episode? Okay. Okay. Yes. So I actually did. I got to watch quite a few Kaiju and Tokusatsu titles. Oh, yeah. Um, I I had one day off and I binged. I just like all day <laughs> I watched movies. Right. Um, so I watched Stacy attack the schoolgirls, schoolgirl zombies mm-hmm. as a independent, uh, low budget horror movie. Yeah, it's you know I I've I've watched better low budget zombie movies. I've watched a ton of Japanese zombie movies. Damn, 
and eventually like you you see this this the movie and eventually they start just becoming the same thing over and over and over again mm-hmm. I feel like people say that about zombie movies in general in general <laughs> yeah see i don't i I've watched return or night of the living dead and I've watched dawn of the dead mm-hmm. both of which are basically the same movie just different decades right um but i i'm I'm not a huge zombie person. I've just got a lot of Japanese zombie movies on my list, so I've been watching them. <laughs> yeah. Um, but outside of that, I watched... Uh, so recently, Synapse Films finally released Crocodile Fangs to Blu-ray. Yeah. Um, they announced the title back in 2019. Oh, so, wow. <laughs> yeah, it's been like a long time. In, uh, re- uh, so Synapse got all the... Uh, is it J- Jello? Gallo? Jallo. Jallo. All the Jello films, and they've been releasing them in like 4K and whatnot. Um, so when they announced Crocodile Things, they were going to release it, but they put it on hold to do all of those titles that they had acquired. And Synapse Films is a two-person operation, so you know uh, you just got two people working on it. So they did right. all those. And they finally got back to Crocodile Fangs. And it's a brand new HD transfer of the English version. They reached out and got all the footage from the foreign releases and put it as like extended and deleted scenes. And they interviewed the director, the Korean director, for 30 minutes. And he uh, reveals some info about the film. So pretty cool. Um, Mm -hmm. There was a limited edition slipcover on uh, Diabolic DVD, which I bought. Yeah. Um. Finally got to watch that movie. Uh, that was one of the few Korean films that I hadn't seen. Um, so that was pretty exciting. It had a Japanese effects team. Oh, yeah. So that was even cooler. It's, I mean, it's, it's a low-budget Jaws ripoff. It's, it's beat for beat Jaws. Um, but it was just cool to watch and just kind of be like, huh, this is an interesting chapter in the Korean uh, kaiju scene. Mm-hmm. Um especially considering it was in 1978 so at the time the only titles you really had were ape the Wasn't dragon Wasn't it directed by Sampote Sands as well? Mm, that's what the international credits say. But the actual director his name is called Lee Wong Se, I believe it is. Oh. So he's a Korean Wait. director. Yeah, Wait, so well, I'll, is... I'll I'll tell you. <laughs> So he's a Korean director. He was brought to Taiwan to direct Crocodile Fangs, also known as the Fangs of the Crocodile, also known as Horrors of the Crocodile, I believe. Mm -hmm. He directed the film. It was a Taiwanese crew. Sampote Sands was the head of the effects department. Because of his connections with Subaraya, he got a Japanese effects team to work on it. So he was the director of effects, Japanese crew creating the effects, Lee Wong Se directing the human footage. Mm-hmm. The film was finished. Lee Wong Se went back to Korea. Sempote and Chayo were getting international distribution. They right. got the film to America. The American distributor would, you know, redo the credits and and cut footage and whatnot. But Sampote 
put himself as the director. Oh. So on the American and international prints of the film, Sempote is labeled as the director. And in Taiwan, he's labeled as the director. But in the Korean version, it's actually uh, uh, Lee Wong Se. I believe that's his name. I'm I'm going to double check because I don't want to be getting mm-hmm. his name wrong. I would feel, yeah, Lee Wong Se. Um, he got credit. And he, yeah. so in the interview, they asked him about it. And he had no idea for decades he was not getting credit for directing that movie. He found out in the interview that Synapse Films conducted with him back in 2022. Wow. Which hurts. Um, Sempote took credit, and for decades, that's who people have credited as the director. When in all reality, he was only director of the effect sequences. Damn. So, yeah, it's, it's... that it's kind of depressing. me. Yeah. As yeah. hell, man. Yeah. So it wow. was really nice that, I mean, in the print, so Synapse only released the U.S. version, but they also had a commentary and an interview with Lee Wong Se. So in the bonus footage, they in the bonus interview, they definitely established he directed it. And in the commentary, they established that he directed it but in the actual credits, it doesn't show him as the director. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so that's why it was actually difficult to uh, partially track down the film when you do research on it. Um, I've, I've done a lot of deep dives in researching into it. So like I knew all of this. But it was, it's just, it's a really interesting, like, this is one of the examples of Chayo screwing people over that people would, you know, infamously understand from the whole Ultraman Subaraya Chayo deal. Right. Um, it's, yeah, it was a really, really awful thing. Wow. <laughs> and the worst part is, so Lee Wong Se passed away this year. Oh, oh, damn. So they interviewed him last year. The Blu-ray got released this year, and he passed away this year. So so people aren't learning about this really much until after his After, death, yes. Wow. Mm-hmm. Unless you did research, you would not know that Lee Wong Se directed Crocodile Things. Mm-hmm. Unless you were in Korea and, and like... Yeah saw the Korean print. Um, but uh, so Synapse only did the US version. And from my understanding, the reason they did that is there's no good quality print of the Taiwanese version or the Korean version or just the international print, mm-hmm. which is why all of that footage got chopped off, chopped up into extended and deleted scenes. Right. Um, that features like the alternate title sequences and, and the actual extended scenes. So it was, it's, you know, it's, it's really depressing to see. I mean, with, with your international films from like Taiwan and Korea and Thailand and whatnot, this is something that's just very typical is for prints to be in poor state and, you know, things just to 
fall through the cracks and and not have the proper care that they should. Right. And I mean, like, especially in in countries like Taiwan and in Korea, a lot of films have credits that aren't entirely accurate. Um, one, one, another example, and, and I don't want to die, like stay on the topic of, of Korean kaiju for too long, but the 1970 film, The Dragon King and the Three Princes, mm-hmm. <clears throat> it's a film that basically follows the exact same plot of a Taiwanese film titled Sea Gods and Sea Ghosts from 1975. Same plot, it actually uses the same footage of the kaiju. And here's how it's the same footage. It's both of those films took it from a film from 1971 named The Founding of the Ming Dynasty, mm-hmm. which features footage that a Taiwanese company commissioned Subaraya Productions to create. So mm-hmm. The Dragon and Three Princes is showing footage that is stolen from a film that stole it from another film. Damn. And the best part about it is that footage also would get stolen for War of the God Monsters. <laughs> so eventually you had stolen footage of stolen footage of stolen footage from footage that a Taiwanese company uh, commissioned Superaya to create. Right. <laughs> so it's yeah, it's it's really it's it's really it's like specifically that stock footage is it's really interesting to like trace it back. Because, mm-hmm. like I said, you have the Dragon King and Three Princes. But before that, you had Sea Gods and Sea Ghosts. And before that, you had the founding of the Ming Dynasty. But if mm-hmm. you fast forward, the footage is also in War of the God Monsters. So mm-hmm. it, it's a whole thing. Like, that that stock footage has the longevity of, like, footage from Rodan in the Toho Godzilla movies. <laughs> so, stuff like that is kind of you know it's it's an it's a rabbit hole to dive down and, and it's really interesting yeah speaking of rabbit holes and interesting korean stuff another korean monster movie i finally got to watch was space monster wing magui oh um i i had been wanting to watch it i bought the blu-ray but i had just not had time but i i watched crocodile and i was like okay you know what korean kaiju double feature let's watch wing magui Mm-hmm. So I watched it, and it is probably the weirdest Showa era monster movie I've watched. Hmm. It doesn't feel like so. Here's the funny thing: Wing Magui is a spoof of the genre, but it's in the '60s when you didn't really have those. Right. Like it actually like name drops titles of movies. And it's like Wait, this what? is like so in the movie they're like there's a monster like in King Kong outside. Uh-huh. And they're like this is just like King Kong. Like those are lines in the movie. And I'm like when did we get meta jokes about kaiju in the 60s? Like the script is so weird. It it feels like a modern day SRS title like Zillafoot, but it's actually like this 1960s Korean monster movie. I have a theory that the print we're watching has what Subaraya did with the uh, Showa Ultraman, which is added sound effects because some of the sound effects sound effects in Wing Magui 
sounded stock like I had heard them before and was right. too crisp and clean to not be like added in later. So I have a theory that Wing Magui had some alterations from the Korean film archive, but I don't know. Maybe. Um, but it, it's probably the weirdest Korean kaiju movie I've watched. <laughs> and that's including uh, Yonguri, Monster from the Deep, uh, Ape, Crocodile, uh, War of the God Monsters, Reptilian, D-Wars, The Host, and Monster in Okja. Mm. So, yeah, I, I probably would label this Wing Mangui uh, as as the strangest out of all of them. I still have to watch Chaws. That's the only Korean monster movie that's available in the States I haven't watched yet. Mm-hmm. So maybe I can get that watch soon. Beyond those, I uh, decided to do a Takashi Yamazaki uh, oh. double feature. So as of this recording, the Godzilla Zero countdown is almost to zero. Um, so I'm getting excited for that. Mm. Um, so to to like, I've already watched Returner. I've watched uh, Space Battleship Yamato. The Always Trilogy is not available in the States, and none of his other films are besides the Parasite duology, Parasite Part 1, Parasite Part 2. So I watched those. I watched the those. They're a live-action adaptation of the manga anime series, Parasite. Right. And they're actually really good. Huh. They're really good. Like, I've heard a lot of people talk about them and say they're pretty good, but they are really good. Damn. <laughs> so imagine the uh, John Carpenter's The Thing mixed with Tokyo Ghoul. Well, I, I, I haven't seen Tokyo Ghoul. Oh, <laughs> I've watched the live action movie. So they're basically this like those two things combined gets Parasite. Right. So the whole movie is about. Fighting off parasites, it's you you have to watch them, Rex, like I, I, I think you would enjoy both Parasite movies. They're like two hours each, so it's like four hours long. For both <laughs> movies. Um, but I I like them. I like them a lot. And the CGI is really good. And it was all done by Shirogumi. Yeah. So it just it it just added to my hype. I am so excited for Godzilla Zero. <laughs> like that Returner was good. Over, man. It's almost over, and by the time that this episode goes out, it will be it will long be past. We'll probably have a poster. We'll have an official title. We'll have probably a cast announcement. And we might have a teaser trailer. (laughs) So, oh, Jun Kitamura or Jun Kitamura is in uh, Parasite Part 1 and 2. Okay, I guess I'll have to watch them. And, (laughs) And your favorite commander of Planet X. Yo... Yo, are you are you telling me Kazuki Kitamura's in it? Kazuki Kitamura's in it, and so Yo. here's here's the funny thing. So I was watching the movie, and his character came on, and I'm like, okay, cool, cool. And then like, there was just one scene that I cut to him, and I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, that face, 
I know that face. And I was like, I got to I and I'm pretty sure uh, Yokojiro Hataru also makes a small appearance in the movie oh, as well. Nice. I so I'll tell you, I think it's him. It's hard to tell, but I think he plays the school principal. Uh, for for the uh, main character. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not in the cast list. Okay. But it looks like him. So, yeah, it, they were really good. I definitely recommend them, Rex. I definitely think you should watch them. Mm-hmm. Um. But beyond that, I also watched another zombie movie titled Girls, Gangsters, and Zombies. Oh, yeah? Which is basically the plot of Versus minus the awesome action. Huh. Pretty much. It's So It's it was distributed by Switchblade Pictures in the States, which they're a company that it's almost like SRS, even though SRS like does have a variety of, of quality. Mm-hmm. Where it's like when you when you buy it, you're like, okay, so this is going to be exploitation, and this is going to be really bad, <laughs> and it's going to be shot on a like thirty frames per second video camcorder, mm-hmm. if even that. And nine times out of ten, I'm correct. They're the ones that released. Here? Yes. <laughs> it was it was a uh, very very much uh exploitation right um i'll just i'll leave my thoughts of the movie on this the ending credits have a female off. actually i don't think this is even like okay to have so just cut that it's a weird <laughs> movie it's a weird movie that's all you people need to hear until we eventually discuss the movie on on the podcast. How exciting. <laughs> and then so I had to talk I we had to have watched a kaiju movie for the actual, you know, right. Kaiju yeah. kaiju month. So did you watch any? Actually, I think I did. Oh yeah. Because yeah, because so we did Nikatsu's Gappa, which is their only real kaiju movie from that time period, and we've already done Death Kappa, so like we did all of Nikatsu's really. And we did Shochiku's The X from Outer Space. Right. And and I and don't really want to cover Gamera. Mm. So we've we've covered I mean, so it's gotta be either Toei or Toho. And I, I mean really... you never know. We could we could go mix it up and do a Subaraya. This is true, but what would we cover? What would we cover, Rex? Ultraman. Yeah, but but that would re- require like a lot of episodes. Oh. So it has it has to be a Toei or Toho. But we've we've done a little bit of Toei Toku. So I feel like Toho is where it's at. Oh. Well, do you think we should cover a Godzilla movie? You know, for a primarily like Godzilla like promoted podcast, I feel like we we don't we don't cover a lot of Godzilla. But we do talk about him a lot. 
we do. It's we almost like we're Godzilla fans. Yeah. Mm. We're like, oh my Godzilla. Jesus. Uh, Dear God, Zilla. No, 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 stop. Stop. You're oh not my an American God. screenwriter, E.T. I could be. Are you on strike? Exactly. Damn. <laughs> I'm about to strike you out of this podcast. Oh! That's hilarious. That's hilarious. You you really did graduate from the Godzilla vs. Kong school of writing. <laughs> So yeah, let's you know let's let's not do a Toho kaiju movie. Let's do a Toho Godzilla movie. Ooh, well, what better place to go than the next film? My brain died halfway through that. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> the next film, yeah, Rex. The the ne- what? The next film of what? <laughs> God. That's that's like <laughs> it's time to journey. I forgot where we're journeying. So today we're covering Invasion of the Astro Monster from 1965, also known as Godzilla versus Monster Zero, also or known just as Monster Zero. Yes, yes, quite. Hmm. So here we are oh, in Monster War. Yes, uh, Kaiju Daisenso, Daisenso, correct? Yes. Look at me knowing my Japanese titles. But do you know the Champion Festival title for the film? Uh, Great Monster War King Ghidorah versus Godzilla. Hmm. I think that's right. I don't remember if King Ghid- if King Ghidorah versus Godzilla comes first or after. But it's after. Yes. Oh. Also known as uh, Kaiju Daisenso Kingu Gidra Tai Gojira. Yeah, you thought you could beat me, didn't you, Rex? I'm better than you. <laughs> so, I'm going to call it Monster Zero. Just just for simplicity reasons, I'm just going to say Monster right. Zero. Um, I'm probably guess I'm probably just gonna call it Astro Monster because that's usually what I say. I'm the American, you're the Australian. It makes yeah. sense. In in my country, it's called Godzilla: The Invasion of Astro Monster. <laughs> that's kind of stupid. What do you mean? It advertises that it's a Godzilla movie. Makes it more obvious. Ah, uh, this is true. This is true. It's just good marketing. That's true. So, yeah, this Gotta is... Gotta have those keywords, man. This is true. <laughs> so, Invasion of Astro Monster was the second co-production between Henry G. Saperstein Enterprise, a.k.a. Uh, UPA, United Productions of America, mm-hmm. and Toho. Right. Um, their first one was Frankenstein versus Baragon, which is a very well-loved and remembered uh, kaiju movie in, in the fandom. Right. And one thing I thought was interesting is Toho and UPA did a 50-50 budget split. Yeah. Which I thought was a really, like, you don't hear that. So, like, for the Marvel Spider-Man movies, it's like 
Sony puts in 90% of the box of the budget and Marvel puts in 10%. Mm-hmm. Or at least that was like the original deal was like Sony does 90% and they do the marketing and Marvel does 10% and they get like 25% of the first weekend box office. And after that, Bam. it's all Sony's like money. Mm-hmm. And in return, Sony gets to use MCU characters, be in the MCU, and Marvel gets to use Spider-Man in the MCU. Right. Um, so like that's how modern day Hollywood like works. And then right. like as as the we and like Sony would get all the home video stuff and all the streaming like money and whatnot. Right. And then, you know, recently Disney struck a deal to have the Spider-Man movies on Disney Plus. So, yeah. like, nowadays distribution and, and, and like, budgeting is, is a very complex thing. But in this situation, Toho and UPA were just doing 50-50 splits. Saperstein would have producer a producer role on the film, a little bit of, like, influence. Mm-hmm. And U.S. distribution. Yeah. Which is, like, kind of weird. Like, in, in, in that context, it's like, man, for 50% of the budget, which was about a million dollars at the time, so that's $500,000, mm-hmm. you would get theatrical, like, in, in like, in per- perpetuary, I, th- I think that's the right term, like, UPA would not lose the rights to distribution. They would have distribution rights. They yeah. would, you know, be able to market that and they would get a film. So it's, it's to me, like just seeing that's really interesting in, in context of modern day Hollywood. Um, but Henry G. Saperstein did have a little bit of control over it. One mm-hmm. of the things was an American actor being in the film. For right. this one, it was Nick Adams. And another and one previously was... previously starred in Frankenstein vs. Baragon. Correct. And this would be his last role. Following this, uh, UPA and Toho would go with uh, Russell Tamblin for mm-hmm. War of the Gargantuas. Yeah. And honestly, well, after He this... would still do one other Japanese film afterwards. Right, which would be... Uh... The Killing Bottle, I believe. Correct. Yes. But another thing that uh, Saperstein had influence on, which I was kind of surprised by this, was he was able to tell Sekizawa to alter his script. So Saperstein didn't like the formulaic approach that the kaiju genre was growing to have. So instead of having like exposition at the beginning where it's like establishing the issue and, and going from there... Saperstein told Sekizawa to just go right into the action. Right. Um, which, if you're ready to dive into the plot of the film, we could just go right into it. Oh, yeah. Sure. <laughs> um, so we quite literally just go right into the action. Um, if you watch the English version, it starts with some text on the screen, which I thought was a little weird to have. Um after your opening credits, of course, which in the English version credit Eiji Tsuburaya above Honda, which is kind of interesting. Um, it goes to show Saperstein had a great appreciation for Tsuburaya's special effects. Um, 
but we get a brief explanation in the um, in the U.S. version of basically there's a planet on the other side of Jupiter, and we're going to look at it. Right, same thing so, in the Japanese version. It jumps right into that action. So we have uh, Fuji, as Fuji. he's called in in the U.S. version, Fuji or Fuji, <laughs> and and Glenn traveling to planet X, which is on the other side of Jupiter. Mm-hmm. And they're played by Nick Adams, who plays Glenn, and Akira Takarada, who plays Fuji. And Although in they the are Japanese just... Film, uh, Nick Adams is voiced by Japanese actor Goro Nya, who would, is the great leader of Shocker and Kamen Rider. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. So there we they were quite literally thrown in and they are traveling to Planet X. Yeah. We're also introduced to World Space Authority where I guess it's basically like United Nations NASA. It's basically NASA, yeah. Yeah, United Nations NASA. I mean the spacesuit design is inspired by NASA, so Right. And so one thing that I'm going to say now because I feel like it's already relevant, but it's relevant throughout the entirety of the film is how great the design for the sets and the suits is for this movie. Right. I was like, I don't know why, but this rewatch, I was like, man, this is like really well designed. Like everything's like. I mean, I I saw somebody uh, mentioned in my research that, like, since Star Wars came out, the film was dated. But, like, looking at it in the context of 1965, everything's really well detailed and designed. Oh, yeah, I really like the production design, particularly, like, later on when we see, like, the the Exilian space on Planet X in particular, when Fuji's Mm -hmm. first exploring that. Right. So... Rex, do you want to explain to everybody what the establishment is following the being thrown right into the action? Mm. So essentially, Glenn and Fuji have been sent to investigate Planet X. And, you know, we're also shown some of the people, some of the people working on Earth at not NASA. So we're introduced to Jun Tazaki's character, Dr. Sakurai, as well as Fuji's sister, Haruno. From both Dr. Sakurai and Haruno's introduction, they discuss they discuss Haruno's boyfriend, Mr. Tetsuo, or Tetsui in the English dub, mm-hmm. whom we're introduced to with a very loud and very annoying invention that he has created <laughs> the lady guard alarm yep and from here it does go to tetsuya or tetsuo mm-hmm. trying Tetsui out is what they call him in the dub right right trying out his new invention which mm-hmm. in the english dub is really it's it's funny because the voice actress for the female character that appears in the scene is really obnoxious and annoying. <laughs> um, following, so Tetsuo tries out the alarm, and she's like, 
turn it off like you're going to disturb the baby. Mm-hmm. And then like immediately following that, he turns it off and then she screams, Tetsuya! And he's like, well, I already shut it off. Like, calm down. And, and she's like, there's a phone call for you. And it's mm-hmm. the most obnoxious female voice that the actress could have done. <laughs> There's a lot of like minor female roles in this movie that the dub actress just did the most obnoxious like dub work for, and I don't understand <laughs> why. Later the on, that really stood out to me is like near the end where you just hear a woman screaming, and it's really just jarring. <laughs> and she's like, "Look out the window!" Yeah, yeah, yes. That scene, that's the one I'm talking about. <laughs> and it's like, why? What What was the idea behind... The English dub for this is really weird. <laughs> like, there's there's some parts where it's like, what are they saying? Hmm. What yeah, is he trying to yeah, say? I, yeah, at one point I had to double take because I thought, I thought Akira Takarada's character said, Glenn, kill yourself. And I was like, what? <laughs> what? Which is weird because the dub for this was was made in America. It was it was done right. by UPA. And typically speaking, like your American dubs are pretty good. Uh Titan Sound, who had who had done Mothra versus Godzilla, um, and would later do on do a dub for Ebera and Son of Godzilla and the Straw Monsters, those are pretty solid dubs. I mean, I'm um, gonna be honest. I've I I like most of the Hong Kong dubs as well. See, I I, I prefer like... the Titan dubs just because they have a better script and they mm-hmm. follow the Japanese script mm-hmm. a little better. Right. I like and hearing. Admittedly, admittedly, I didn't grow up with a lot of the Showa dubs. I I grew up with mostly like the dubs for the Heisei and Millennium films. Right. So I only had limited access to a couple of the show of dubs when I was younger. Right. Which makes sense. But it, it's really weird because like Titan did a great job with their dubs. Um, right. Walter Reed, who did uh, Ghidorah the Three-Headed Monster and All Monsters Attack. For Ghidorah, I think they did a fantastic job. Um, yeah, the Ghidorah dub's pretty good. But the dub for Astro Monster, which was not done by Walter Reed or uh, Titan, is kind of weird. It's it's mm. it's it's definitely like I would say stereotypical Showa dub, right? Um, and I think part of that is because UPA couldn't get Titan Sound. That was a company that was working for AIP who was supposed to distribute the film in the United States, but Henry G. Mm. Saperstein had a falling out with AIP around this time. And because of that, AIP didn't distribute Astro Monster, so it would take five years for the film to come out. Mm. Um, It would release in uh, July 29th of 1970 in the United States, double-billed with The War of the Gargantuas. Right. Um, because of that falling out, they didn't have access to that very well-seasoned dubbing studio that had done anime and whatnot. Right. Um, so it's, it's yeah, it's definitely 
this film I feel like is undoubtedly Showa no matter how you look at it. Like this is like the pinnacle Showa film. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and uh I'm gonna get into that a little later on, but I, I want to keep going here with the plot. Mm-hmm. Uh so if you want to take it away, Rex, we'll we'll go we'll jump back in from the introduction of the Lady Guard alarm. Okay. So following this Dr. Sakurai holds a press conference explaining, you know, that Planet X is a very mysterious planet and just sort of giving some of just early exposition, minimal exposition really on Planet X to the audience or in the film to some news reporters. During this, we get a nice bit of direction where not only do we cut to the P-1, which is the spaceship Glenn and Fuji are flying, you know, traveling through space. But then we immediately cut to a diner with that has essentially its background is sort of designed to sort of resemble the mm-hmm. the space galaxy. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, and I it's think that's really a nice direction from Honda. Absolutely. I wholeheartedly agree that that was the moment when I realized that this film had really good design work mm-hmm. and the, the transitions and the editing for this film helped that, like, especially during this sequence that you're talking about. Right. And so during the sequence, essentially Tetsuo, he's having a dinner date with his girlfriend at a fancy restaurant, but he's also selling the, the lady guard device to a woman from the world was it the world education center or corporation World toy it's toy corporation no that's what world fun it was education it was education fun. world education he sells it to miss namikawa played by kumi mizuno and then we get another bit of nice fun editing where tetsuo says your brother is really standing on his head because Tetsuo is not approved of by Fuji by Miss Fuji's brother. And so we cut to both him and Glenn in the spaceship upside down. I and now it's it's a very funny, like nonchalant like joke that mm-hmm. unless you're like really paying attention, I think you'll miss. But I, I really appreciated that. Yeah. Um that moment. It's a fun World gag. Education <laughs> Corporation. World Education Corporation. Okay, I was That's right. What it's called. I was right. How dare you doubt me? Shruggy. Shruggy? Shruggy. <laughs> From here, the two astronauts land on Planet X and begin exploring, with Fuji going off alone to plant a flag with the this flat a flagpole with the flags of the USA, Japan, and I think also the UN. Yes, the UN. Now, a cool, so a little fun factoid about production during the landing sequence for this scene. Uh, The uh, effects art director, in a way, did what he would later do on Destroy Monsters as well, and he, like, made a hole in the floor (laughs) of the soundstage to get the shot of the... Uh, right. spaceship going down because there wasn't enough space to like have it without seeing the top of the soundstage. Right. So in a way broke through the floor 
and moved the camera down so they could have a longer shot. And Which he got in trouble for in trouble. <laughs> but he lit but he with did later it again anyways. Yeah, I love this. Like, well, I got in trouble. I'll do it again. <laughs> I think he realized, well, if I do it, they're going to punish me, but it'll just be a slap on the wrist, you know? He was probably like, who knows how many more times I got to do this. It doesn't matter. Yeah, exactly. Because at I do the, good admi- work for them. <laughs> <laughs> they keep reusing my my the the sets I designed for Rodan. They keep using that stock footage, so clearly I'm valuable to them. This is very true. <laughs> and I I love so it's isn't it a two meter like tall uh, spaceship that they cut to with like these little dolls that are supposed to be the, the humans. It, <laughs> yeah. It's it's undoubtedly miniatures, but I love it. Like it's, yeah. it's very aesthetically pleasing and it does right. like, it's something that you hadn't seen yet. So by this point in time, Toho had already done a few space, space features. They had done the Mysterians in 1957 battle in outer space in 1959 and then Gorath in 1962. But this kind of feels like the culmination of those films mm-hmm. perfected. Mm-hmm. And it's a really nice film because of that. Right. Um, this film, so I'm going to... I, If it's not clear by now, this film is very much a space opera at the beginning. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, Very much like how the extra matter space is. But I think this film corrects what the X from outer space did. Mm-hmm. And that's going to get into my main theme that we're going to get into here in a little bit. So go ahead okay. and keep going Rex with the introduction of planet X and okay. the planting of the flag. So after Fuji plants the flag, he loses contact with Glenn and the ship disappears. All the while there is this mysterious thunderstorm and lightning appearing across Planet X that he sees. Which Planet top- X is beautiful, by the way. I love yes. it. On top of that, there are mysterious footprints near where he set up the flagpole, so he realizes that he's not alone. They're not alone on the planet. And after realizing the ship is missing, a mis- a strange capsule opens up from the ground and a voice tells him that not only is Glenn and the ship inside, they want him to come along as well as it Mm -hmm. would be safer for him. Which uh, Glenn begrudgingly agrees. Oh yeah, Fuji. Sorry, sorry. Fuji begrudgingly agrees to follow along. Um, I mean, he's kind of forced into it. He kind <laughs> of is, but he's, he's also kind of like, hmm, this isn't, there's something fishy about this. Right, right from the get-go, it's obvious that Fuji and Glenn know, or ha- have a bad feeling about everything that is about to ensue. Right. I mean, some people tend to criticize this film's portrayal of the aliens for it being, quote, obvious that they're the bad guys but i mean it's i i took it as the audience is always supposed to know that (laughs) right and i mean so following 
this sequence, we're, we're introduced to the Exilians. Mm-hmm. And basically, they give the spiel about how... I'm jumping ahead a little bit here, but long story short, they need the help of the Earth to get rid of Monster Zero to save their planet. Yes, Monster That's... Zero being King Ghidorah, whom was actually the cause of the quote-unquote lightning storm that Correct. Fuji had seen earlier. Um, like I said, I'm kind of jumping ahead there, so I'm gonna I'm gonna jump back here. I so, mean, not really too much. All all we're really introduced to is uh, Fuji and Glenn get back together, and right. then Ghidorah attacks. And in the English dub, I don't know if it's in the Japanese version, but in the English dub, there's this really cool thing where the the Exilians, one of them over the radio, says. We need to fix something in order to keep control of, and then it cuts. And that's oh, when all God. the lights go out and the force field goes around Glenn and, and Fuji. And I'm pretty sure that was them alluding to to keep control of Ghidorah. They have to fix yeah. something. And right. I was like, man, that's actually really genius. Like, that's a really cool foreshadowing. Hmm. Of course, after a few seconds, the Exilians return, and they're like, that is Monster Zero. You know him as King Ghidra. He's destroying our planet. We need Godzilla and Rodan to help us get rid of King Ghidorah. Yes, Monster Zero One and Zero Two. Yes. And if you guys help us, we'll give you the miracle drug to save your world from cancer to cure cancer. Mm-hmm. Damn, we could we could use the Exilians' help right about now. <laughs> Who's to say we don't have that? Anyway, that's a conspiracy theory. Damn. Uh, okay. <laughs> so it's obvious Glenn and Fuji are like, mm, how? How are we supposed to do that? Right. I mean, they don't even know where Godzilla or Rodan are at this point in time. Right. And this is where the Exilians are like, oh, they're here and here. And if you guys can set up a meet and greet, essentially, we can take care of the rest. Mm-hmm. So they, they, Glenn and Fuji agree to go back to Earth and talk with the leaders of the world to see if, if the Exilians and Earth can, you know, build a relationship, a bond. Yeah. And so the Exilians help uh, Glenn and Fuji get back to Earth, get their rocket, everything's fine. They uh, do a countdown for a liftoff and all that good stuff. And Fuji and Glenn get back to Earth, where the plot develops. So returning to... Earth, they not NASA has a press conference where various organizations, such as the Organization of Women, <laughs> and all that sort of discuss what Earth's next move will be, whether or not they'll agree with the Exilians' terms of helping them get the monsters for the cure of, for the cure for cancer. Which they end up coming to an agreement of if the Exilians' information is true, they'll help them. All the while, Tetsuo 
is trying to figure out what's happening with his invention and to get his money, since he was offered a very hefty price from Miss Namikawa. Wasn't it a hundred thousand dollars? I know in the English stuff, I'm like pretty that, sure yeah. it was. I'm pretty sure it was in the yeah. Yeah, in the dub it was. I don't remember what it was in the Japanese version. Gotcha. And this is where... So following this, don't they stop the plot a bit to have uh, Glenn Fuji and Tetsuo and... Yeah, Glenn Fuji, Tetsuo, and Haruno. Haruno. All All meet up. A little dinner. (laughs) Well, not really dinner together since Glenn leaves. Right. It's so in the commentary, they they highlight the scene because of so this film follows the tradition of having a sibling approve of marriage. Right. Right. Yeah. So Tetsuo is wanting to marry Fuji's sister. Mm -hmm. Fuji does not like Tetsuo at all. And it this whole sequence starts off bad because Glenn and Fuji are waiting and they specifically highlight the fact that Tetsuo is late, which is already bad, being late in, in Japanese culture. I mean, in any culture, it's bad, but like especially in Japanese culture, that's like respect. Right. And that's already, you know, a negative thing. And Fuji already has a negative outlook of, oh, Tetsuo is this like wannabe inventor who doesn't create anything good and should just turn to being a working class man. Yeah. Um, a very traditional outlook on what Tetsuo should be. Mm -hmm. So they're already late. So there's already problems. And what's interesting is Glenn is kind of like the middle ground for Fuji and Tetsuo. Like Glenn's the reason, the guy that reasons. But everything goes down when Glenn, like you said, leaves. And why is he leaving? To meet up with Miss Namikawa. He's got a hot date. Hmm. Both in the movie and outside the movie. <laughs> Should we give context for that? <laughs> Feel free. So. Nick Adams co-starred with Kumi Mizuno in both Astro Monster and Frankenstein vs. Baragon. While working in Japan on these films, Nick Adams and Kumi Mizuno were in a relationship on screen and off screen. Uh, Very much like how Harrison Ford and Carrie Fisher had a little thing going on during Star Wars. Mm -hmm. The same could be said during... Uh, Kumi Mizuno and Nick Adams situation in -hmm. all reality too, like Nick Adams basically plays the original Han Solo. So it kind of makes sense. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I read a story. I was reading this interview with Kumi Mizuno where she mentions how like, you know, Adams would teach her a couple English phrases, although she didn't really know what they meant. Mm hmm. And the particular word that she could recall him teaching her, or yeah, him teaching her, was horny. <laughs> yeah, she just repeated to the interview, "horny, horny." <laughs> That's funny. And they both laughed, and he's like, "Do you know what that means?" And she's like, "No." 
Oh, Kiwi Mizuno, you're, <laughs> you're, you're a precious gem. So what's interesting is at the time Adams was married and Mizuno right. was engaged. Right. So Adams relationship ended horribly. They ended up getting a divorce. Uh, Adam's daughter specifically cites when Adams went to Japan and Kumi Mizuno became in the picture. That is when her parents' relationship ended. Mm-hmm. Um, and I between... mean, their relationship was already kind of strained to begin with mm-hmm. since they'd sort of been on and off a lot from what I've done, from what I've heard. Right, and what was funny was there was an awkward uh, situation where uh, Nick Adams' daughter and his wife went to Japan, mm-hmm. and they had meal a meal with Mizuno. <laughs> and I get, I'm pretty sure if I remember correctly, uh, Adams' daughter said it was obvious that Nick Adams was infatuated with Kumi Mizuno th- during this time, <laughs> which just caused more problems. Right. Um, but in what's interesting is even though all that was going behind the scene, going on behind the scenes, uh, quite literally every source, every interview from a Japanese crew member or actor will make it very clear that Nick Adams was amazing to work with. Yeah. Um, I mean, he became good friends with not only actor Yoshio Tsuchiya, who played the controller of Planet X to the point where not only were they just pranking each other all the time, Adams himself asked Mr. Suchia for a photo and pit and autograph to remember him, which apparently Mr. Adams kept mm-hmm. very, very close to him for years. Yeah. He, he had it. Uh, so Suchia didn't, he thought it was just like to flatter him. But yeah. when uh, I believe it was uh, Tanaka visited Adams in America, Tanaka went back and told Suchia that the photo that he signed for Adams was hanging above, like very prominently in his living room. Right. Yeah. Which. And, and he also had a very good relationship with Honda, too. With Honda, Honda and, and Takarada. Uh, Takarada hmm. actually cited that him. So Takarada, um, both Takarada and Suchi, if I remember correctly, uh, said that they could tell that Adams was having some issues, and so hmm. to help, like, try to make it easier on him, they would, you know, spend time with him and hang out. Takarada hmm. uh, recalled like going and having a lot of drinks with with Adams and just being there right. to help, like calm him down being in a new country, not knowing the language and whatnot. Right. Um, and everybody said that Adams genuinely like appreciated and respected and liked the Japanese culture, mm-hmm. which was something really nice. And another thing that people highlighted was Japanese acting is very tongue in cheek in general. That's, that's mm-hmm. how they act. And Adams also was very tongue in cheek in the in like Monster Zero and Frankenstein for Sparagon. He wasn't this very serious individual. He was very dramatic, right? And that was a like that ended up benefiting 
Adams and the whole film in general because there wasn't this weird like contrast. Adams really understood what he was doing and what makes it even more like intriguing was Adams did all of his lines in English whereas yeah. the Japanese cast would do it in Japanese. But because right. they had the scripts, they never had issues following along because they knew what the other person was saying. Yeah. Whereas, like, Russ Tamblin was very serious, and his <laughs> time on War of the Gargantuas was, was, is very infamously known as being absolutely awful. Yeah. Uh, following along from here, the military discovers that Godzilla and Rodan are exactly where they say they are. After after Glenn's date with Namikawa, he talks to Fuji about how while he was asleep, he woke up and saw Miss Namikawa talking to an Exilion commander, talking about some plans for what they're doing on Earth, which she later denied him having seen. And the Exilians then make their presence on Earth known, appearing mm-hmm. from the water. <laughs> now, one thing that I also want to bring up here, because when I saw this in the film, it also kind of was interesting. In the movie, now this this very well could have just been like the whole America, you know, white dude, horny, crazy dude. In the film, they make it very clear that Miss Namikawa and Glenn went and stayed with each other in a cottage and they are not married, which is very much taboo. And I saw somebody suggest that if it was a Japanese individual, probably wouldn't have happened. That probably would have been different in the script, but because it was an American, they did it. But just that inclusion um, is very interesting. And uh, I also read um, on Wikizilla, this was an interesting thing they pointed out. This is apparently the only film besides Godzilla City on the Edge of Battle that has an on-screen kiss. Mm-hmm. I mean, unless you want to count 2014. Or, mm-hmm. I think 98 also has a kiss. But, like, outside of American productions. Like, that's pretty right. interesting that this is the most romantically charged live-action Godzilla movie from Japan. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I mean, City on the Edge of Battle isn't even live action, so <laughs> that's why I, I established live action was to like make it clear that I was talking in reference to the live action stuff there. I keep interrupting you. I'm sorry. All good, man. <laughs> but yeah, the aliens appear, land, and because they appear from their spaceships land and have a discussion with Dr. Sakurai with Nick Adams and Takarada in attendance as well as various other unnamed Earth leaders. They discuss their distrust with the aliens and just why why are you here on Earth already? Right. And so... During the so during the entire film, actually, um, Yoshio Tsuchiya did this thing where he would speak in a exilian language. Yeah. Um, 
which Suchia said he drew inspiration from U- European dialects like Germany and France, yeah. and influence from uh, a specific iteration of the yokai kappa for how he would speak and talk. He made it all up. It was all improvised by him. Um, but I thought it was really interesting that even like he drew inspiration from Kappa for that. They hmm. have uh, from here the the Earthlings give the aliens permission to take Godzilla after the Exilians prove that they are capable of moving the monsters themselves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Interestingly, in the original script, they were going to freeze the monsters and attach rockets to both Godzilla and Rodan to fly them into space. But in the final film, they just use like magnetic waves or something to create a bubble around the monsters and then use the ships to drag them. Which I think is a cooler idea. I feel like that's more like, I think that works better. Yeah. Um, which they also bring along with them when they're bringing Godzilla and Rodan to, to uh, Planet X. They bring Dr. Sakurai, Fuji, and Glenn back. Yeah. Which I guess is like ambassadors? Yeah, I mean, that's what they call them. But like, I don't, I don't understand why they did that, just so they could like... Sh- well, I guess it was to give them the drug, the miracle drug, and then... yeah. But I don't know, it just it did feel a little weird. There's a few moments in this movie where it's like, why would they make that decision? Like that that's a little weird. I mean, to be honest, the whole this whole like charade the exilians are playing I don't really see why they need to do this whole charade to begin with. Right. If they can control the monsters, why couldn't they just control them on Earth and and why do they need to ask the humans for permission to take Godzilla and Rodan, you know? And I even saw some people highlight, like, if the World Education Corporation already exists, and that's a front, like, how long have the Exilians been here? And right. why is it they've, like, they're not more like, why is it not a, oh, what was it? What was the movie I'm thinking of where? Oh, it, I guess kind of like Parasite, where like they've already infiltrated all the like major places to like have power. Um, and like was Ghidorah always under their control? Why didn't they like? So there, there's, there's a lot of like plot holes. Would those be plot holes? Uh, uh. I don't know if they're necessary plot holes, but I, I get what you're saying, though. <laughs> There's a lot of questions to be had about some of the decisions in the writing. Right, yeah. It it works for the it works for the story that's being told, but when you kind of think of the actual logic behind okay, why why would the Exilians do this? doesn't quite hold up to scrutiny in that regard. Right. Right. So Godzilla <coughs> and Rodan are brought back to Planet X, where yes. like as, immediately as they're like unfrozen, Ghidorah comes out. Hmm. It's almost but, like 
It might be staged by the Exilians. Dun-dun-dun. So, we have... Before this, they accidentally reveal that they're controlling the monsters as well. (laughs) Do they? I forgot. Yeah, they kind of... Well, they don't directly say they're controlling them, but they... Glenn is inquiring about what the Exilians are capable of, and and they reveal that they can control animals through like brainwaves. That's right. They also reveal that like they control their uh their technology through brainwaves as well. Yes. So Ghidorah so this is the only fight where Godzilla fights off of the planet Earth in the live action films. Mm-hmm. This is the only time Godzilla's ever went anywhere else, which is a really weird like thought. Yeah, you'd think he'd You'd think there'd be more times. Or like none. Or the like the fact that they like you said, the there'd be more because they've already done it, right? Yeah. So it's it stands out in the Godzilla franchise as a very interesting fight. Hmm. So Godzilla very, very short fight. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Yeah, because Godzilla wrote in like get rid of Ghidorah very quickly. And then we get the infamous Shay dance that yes. of of Godzilla dancing, um, based off of the comic Matsukun, also Matsukun, uh, which was a very popular uh, manga at the time that Subaraya wanted to mimic, even though nobody right. else wanted to. Well, I mean, Yoshio's. There's a couple different stories on where that idea came from. Yoshio Suchia. Claims that he's the one who suggested it to Subaraya. Right. And then I also... Him and Subaraya were pretty close friends, I believe, on the set. Mm -hmm. Even though there's some sources that say Subaraya came up with it, and isn't there somewhere Tanaka? Like... I heard that it was like an unnamed studio executive. Gotcha. People don't know which exact exactly it was it was just like some sort of executive wanted it gotcha yeah so well, there's I feel a f- like the Sichia or Subaraya story makes most sense right I agree but like Honda hated it Nakajima didn't want to do it uh, Teriyoshi Nakana uh, Arikawa mm-hmm. hated it and he was Subaraya's protege right uh, Teriyoshi Nakano was second assistant mm-hmm. director for effects I think at the time Right. Um. He didn't want to do it. Inoue didn't want to do it. Everybody didn't want to do it except for <laughs> Tsuchiya <Subaraya>. and Subaraya. <laughs> so, but and at the time, Subaraya had like he was the one that created the Oxbury printer idea. Toho. He was doing all the effects. He had a lot of power. Like yeah. Subaraya was like above Honda with his input. So. Basically, anything that the old man, as as stagehands knew him, anything he wanted was done. Um, in like following this film, this was actually Subaraya's last film as on hands director. Following this, yeah. he would go strictly to a supervisor role because he would be working on Ultra Q, Ultraman, Ultra Seven. Mm-hmm. And working on Subaraya Productions and not Toho. Right. And that's where Satamasa Arikawa would sort of take over, essentially. Right, until 
until 1970 when didn't Arikawa quit because because Toho Space Amoeba right with Space Amoeba not crediting Tsuburaya properly on it or doing like I I read it I heard that it was a in memoriam the fact there was no in memoriam that yeah basically all the effects crew quit Um, yeah and then that was when Teriyoshi Nakano took over Right. Which, I mean, I would argue that was for the better. I feel like Nakano was better than Salamasa like, Arikawa. I, I like Arikawa's work. Uh, but I, admittedly, I haven't rewatched his films for a while, so. This is true. Those are the next films. We're talking about yes. this film. Yes. <laughs> so, Yeah. Anyway, as you were saying, I apologize. Yeah, so during all during all of the chaos, Glenn and Fuji sneak off to explore the ship where not only do they discover the Exilian's vast supply of gold, which had previously been alluded to from the controller, but they also find two Miss Namikawas. Right. And in the original script, there was actually supposed to be like more than a dozen, but because of budget constraints, even, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but because of budget constraints, they couldn't do that. So, right. This film had a noticeable, considerably lower budget than Ghidorah as well. Right. We should establish. Mm -hmm. So was, so correct me if I'm wrong, but the idea is that they're clones made by a computer because the Exilians are run by computers. Yeah. So my guess or my understanding was it was all because they were like computer based. I guess. (laughs) I mean, I don't know why all the Exilians, I mean, outside of the fact that, you know, can't just show like a bunch of if you can't show hundreds of Miss Namikawas, you could probably can't do this for the male exilians, but you know, if, if you're cloning all the female exilians, why not clone all the male exilians, you know? Right. Yeah, exactly. The, the perfect exilians. But following this in the Shea Dance, we get the Exilians giving uh our three characters uh the Miracle drug secret, yes. and then revealing that they've reconstructed uh, the spaceship for them to take home. But even better. But even better. Apparently. And Glenn and Fuji both, uh, I believe, isn't it Fuji's like, maybe we shouldn't leave Godzilla and Rodan? They look like they're upset they we're sad. leaving them. Which. Is So that right there is an interesting thing because that is the first of what would become the humanization of of Godzilla specifically, I feel like. I mean... Maybe you could argue the... the free-headed monster. (laughs) But in, in all fairness, that one was the Twin Fairies translating. Like, they needed a translator to be like, okay, this is what's going on. I mean, yeah, but you still have things like Godzilla's body language from the film and moments like when he laughs, <laughs> at Rodan. This is true. 
when they're bullying each other. <laughs> this is this is very true. So really, I I just consider this like a continuation of what Ghidorah was kind of doing to the dismay of Ishiro Honda. But it also does fall in line with what uh, Noriaki Yuasa specifically mentioned about Gamera, how in Japanese folklore it wasn't abnormal for creatures to just have those characteristics right. and it not be abnormal. Right. So, you know, that since learning that fact away last week, um, it kind of does put into perspective how Godzilla morphed into a hero like that's just something in japanese culture it wasn't necessarily i mean part of it was also from what i understood due to sapistine's influence of him like arguing that if you if you really really emphasize the hero element of godzilla because that's that's what the audience loves about him right if if you if you emphasize that you you have a global phenomenon on your hands. And he was right. Yeah. And what's interesting is this is the first film where Godzilla is the hero the entire yeah. time. Right. Minus the part where he's mind controlled. Yeah. Whereas in Ghidorah, he was largely antagonistic up until the final end where he became a reluctant hero. Mm-hmm. So Glenn Fuji and Dr. Sakurai return to Earth where they play the Miracle Drug record. And this is where it's revealed. Plot twist. The Exilians want to conquer the Earth, but they Mm. don't want to take it by force. They'd rather take it by forfeit. Right. Which following this, I forgot this sequence was in here where they bring up that the entire world has went into chaos. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Which <laughs> which is highly underdeveloped in this film, but also yes. explains a lot of reasons to why the set looks the way it does after this montage. Yeah. So, so you do get your stereotypical, like, headlines and, and footage of, of riots and whatnot. And people screaming. I mean, not even footage of riots. It's just like photos because yeah. we don't we don't have the budget for that. Our budget right. got splashed. We couldn't even include Mothra. <laughs> this is true. We couldn't um, even reference her. So, it you know it's 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 your stereotypical aspects, but it's such an interesting part that just I wish they could have developed on it more. What's really right. cool though is the scene following this is Glenn in a empty room that looks like it's been through hell. Yeah. And I finally understood, like, after years of watching it, like, noticing, wait a minute, the reason it's that way is the whole world's plunged into chaos. Mm. And they're even talking about just surrendering. Yeah. Which is such an interesting thing for them to do. Like you don't typically have that. Usually it's it's the American way of what Nick Adams says, we're gonna fight to the very last man, baby. <laughs> and like Got that independence just, day. Right, exactly, which is very topical because when we're recording <laughs> just this. Passed. We're going to survive. We're going to live on. Uh so it's just it's really interesting. Today like that we're that canceling the apocalypse. 
I mean, that's another great example. It's just <laughs> it's so cool to see that concept get thrown out there and that it yeah. is a legitimate idea they are considering. Yeah. Um so I appreciated that a lot. And I this appreciate is the attention to detail, but it it's just underdeveloped, as you said, because it's really only referenced in like these two scenes. Right. But at this point, I also want to bring up something. So this is over halfway through the film. We are yes, at about, about an the hour, mark. hour. Yeah. And we have 33 minutes left remaining. We have had one sequence really with Godzilla, and that's taking Godzilla from the Earth to Planet X to fight Ghidorah and leave. Right. Rodan has had one sequence taking him from Earth to Planet X to fight Ghidorah and leave. Ghidorah has had two sequences, mm -hmm. one just flying around destroying the surface of Planet X, two is getting beat up by Godzilla and Rodan. Yes. And somehow, and I'm going to explain why, this film has kept me interested, unlike the X yeah. from Outer Space, which up to this point, like at the hour mark, you're like, where's the kaiju how much longer do I have oh, left? Oh no, this the film? hour mark. This is when you got the main rampage going on still, because the Gilala is introduced at the forty-five minute mark. That's right, and it's just the one rampage. Yeah, but you're you're like you're just sitting there like where's like like you're this sitting is... there waiting bored for the monster action because everything else that's going on is completely uninteresting. Right. Whereas, Whereas in yeah, this film, with the plot mm -hmm. going on. Mm -hmm. You almost forget that this is the Godzilla film with the least amount of screen time for Godzilla. Right. Yeah. Um, and I mean, in spite of, in spite of like the flaws of like why the Exilians are going through with this plan, it's still interesting to watch regardless. Right. <laughs> and that, so you have your, your buddy cop, which is Fuji and Glenn. Which the chemistry yes. between Takarada and, and Nick Adams oh, that's just fantastic. is <laughs> it's perfect. And, and I mean, at this point, Takarada, this was his 99th film, so he was a very seasoned actor, and Nick Adams just had that charisma of right. a god. Um, <laughs> you had the mystery of... When they're, when they're all at like the table with like Tetsuo and his, and his sister... The banter between Takarada and Glennon. Oh my god, it's perfect. It's perfect. <laughs> um, you have Tetsuo's side story, which we haven't brought up, but uh, he's been following Miss Namikawa since Glenn left, because Namikawa right. didn't want Glenn leaving, and during the Godzilla Rodin and Ghidorah fight, Glenn and Fuji escaped the main room and went searching to find out what Planet X, Planet X was doing, where we found the multiple Miss Namikawas and Glenn and Fuji are officially that. suspicious. What? We mentioned that part. <laughs> that part, but we, we didn't mention that they escaped and like they were walking around. Mm -hmm. Um, But during all of this, Tetsuo was, you know, doing his own little snooping and got captured by the, the Exilians. And so we have that, that, that mystery story going on while Glenn and Fuji are off planet hopping and then you've got the love story that's also happening. That's not the main focus. The love right. plot is 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 a subplot that you can also follow that keeps one of your characters interesting. 
Yeah. You don't need the kaiju to create an interesting story. This is a space opera first. Yeah. And it's written in a way where you want the kaiju action, but you can enjoy what you're watching while waiting for that. And even right. the kaiju action that you do get is pretty minimal, all things considered. Yeah, and that's and that's my one complaint with like the kaiju element of this film is that I'm I'm fine with there not being a lot of dedicated scenes to them. I just wish that these sequences were a little longer because I feel particularly with both this space fight and the fight at the end, I feel like they end just as they're starting to get real good. See, I don't I don't necessarily agree with that. So here, here's something I noticed and I was thinking about. Invasion of Astro Monster is arguably the most popular 1960s Godzilla movie in the United mm-hmm. States. I feel sure. like I hear more people talking about Planet X, the Exilians, Nick Adams, Godzilla, Rodan, and Ghidorah more so than any other film mm-hmm. in a positive light. And why is that? And my answer is, this film is not for the kaiju action. This film, the reason it is so well-liked is not because of the kaiju. This is the prime example of the statement. It's the prime example. It's it's the antithesis of the statement, the human characters don't matter. Because this Mm -hmm. film proves that you can have human characters primarily be the focal point of your film with kaiju and still create an interesting and engaging movie that in my opinion doesn't it, it doesn't have any faults with the kaiju i think the kaiju action is just enough it's the bare minimum but it works and it i didn't have an issue i was entertained with it and i was able to follow through but I, oh, I love I love what's there. I just wish it was like slightly, ever so slightly, just a little longer in the fights. You know, I yeah, I love what this movie's doing. And I love what's there. It's just a, li- a little bit of extra, just a little bit of extra bit would have been nice. So okay, I I don't I don't I I feel like it's perfect. Like I feel like the amount's perfectly fine. What would you do to improve it? Like what give give me an example of I mean you don't have to be like exact with what you would do, but how would you fix that that problem? I mean it's not necessarily just it's not necessarily fixing a problem. It's just like just I guess adding just adding a little bit more to you know just <laughs> Add to the fun and excitement of the film. I like. I don't necessarily want like a Ghidorah the three-headed monster like twenty-minute extended fight scene. I don't need that. Mm-hmm. But like, just like maybe an extra thirty seconds to a minute on one or both of the fight scenes would like be enough for me. <laughs> okay. See, I just I like don't a know. tiny bit more. Not not much. Because I like, I like what this film delivers. I really do like a lot of what this film delivers. Just that little bit of extra. See, I don't know. I I feel like that would be like 
take it or leave it. Like, I feel like that's not anything. It's not necessarily important. It, it, it'd just be nice, you know, just for entertainment value, really. <laughs> sure. I don't know. I, ju- I found entertainment in everything else in this film. I, I think the effects, sure. honestly, I think the effects in this movie are some of the best in the Showa era. Despite oh, the budget cuts, like that, I feel like the effects in this movie are very well done. Right. Um, I mean, like I was saying in, I think it was the Ghidorah episode, or I, I feel like this sort of point in Godzilla's history, like this 62 to 65 era, I feel like these films feel like the some of the closest things to blockbusters of their era. Mm-hmm. I would agree wholeheartedly. Specifically, I would say King Kong versus Godzilla and Ghidorah the Three-Headed Monster are the peak. It's those are the peak films when it comes to blockbuster value, that marquee value. Right. I think Mothra versus Godzilla is a good uh, transitional movie, and I think Invasion of Astro Monster is the is is uh, maybe the perfect epilogue to this blockbuster era because following this it would be more it'd be lower budgets it'd be less grandiose sets even destroy all monsters would be a film that is a lot slower is a is it's slow burn it's build up it doesn't have the grandiose final conclusion that Ghidorah the three-headed monster or even Astro Monster or King Kong or Mothra versus Godzilla may have I mean, um, I mean, DAM has a it. It has that fight with Ghidorah. At the end. It has that fight, but I'm going to be honest. the The fight on Mount Fuji with Ghidorah, Godzilla, Mothra, and Rodan is the best multi kaiju fight oh, yeah. in the history of Godzilla. Yeah, yeah. That fight is the. Like, if you want to talk about how to design a fight, that is what you do. Mm-hmm. The moment that Mothra is hit by the gravity beam and goes flying and Godzilla <laughs> marches down the mountain <laughs> is the beginning of cinema history. There's a reason yes. when uh, the Ken film 8mm came out, it was that fight sequence. The six right. minutes they had was that fight sequence. That's because that is arguably the best kaiju fighting in any Godzilla movie period. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm getting passionate, Rex. You gotta meet <laughs> this tell. energy. <laughs> I can tell. And you know, I, I I feel like in a way, Astro Monster was destined to not live up to that hype, but somehow yeah. it did. And the way it did that was not the kaiju fights, because you hit peak with Ghidorah the Three-Headed Monster. If, right. if some people would argue King Kong versus Godzilla. You, right. you hit those peaks there. You can't best those films for the kaiju fights. So it's funny Legendary because... Tried and they failed. They did. Uh, it's funny for because both. you have King Kong versus Godzilla, which better fights lesser human characters. Mothra versus Godzilla, better human characters, lesser fights. 
Ghidorah the Three-Headed Monster, better fights, lesser characters, even though I'd argue the characters in hey, that film hey, are Ghidorah also has, pretty good. Ghidorah has good characters. I agree. And then you have Astro Monster, which is lesser fights, better uh, characters. Way better characters. It, it, was, it was like this back and forth of like, here's the good kaiju fights, here's the good characters, here's the good kaiju fights. Here's the good characters. I mean, and that's there's not- a reason that this film, that Nick Adams is very well remembered in this film amongst the fandom. I feel like this film, it like this film solely establishes Nick Adams as Nick Adams in the, in, in the right. genre. Frankenstein versus Baragon, I feel like gets overlooked nine times out of 10 when it comes to Nick Adams in, oh, in this genre. And even I would argue when it comes to Toho co-productions or Toho uh, American actors, Nick Adams, the only person that comes remotely close to Nick Adams is Raymond Burr. Mm-hmm. Only actor to come remotely close when it comes to Toho kaiju films in right. American like inclusion. Right. And the only reason for that is the story behind Raymond Burr and Godzilla. That's why Raymond Burr has such a legendary status. Nick Adams loved what he was doing here, and it's obvious. He was having fun, he was enjoying himself, and he respected the material. Yes. And I think we get the pinnacle human characters in the Showa-era Godzilla films from the 1960s. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) And... That is so that's why I feel like this film has stood the test of time. Mm-hmm. And even like, I mean, some people rave about Mothra versus Godzilla, but I said it was pretty bad. Some people say Ghidorah's really bad, but now a lot of people say Ghidorah's wrong. really good. I think the reason why Astro Monster has been consistently liked over time is the fact that Astro Monster valued its characters and gave us and, and and the actors knew the assignment they knew what they were doing and we got this we got an amazing entourage of of toho kaiju cinema mm-hmm. and that's looking over probably one of the lesser godzilla suits for this film they had to re they they had to make a new godzilla suit and this Godzilla suit I mean, would be interesting thing that uh, that I learned not too long ago. Actually, was that so? The body of this suit is all new. The body of the suit is all new, except the head. So interesting thing is that the Mothra vs. Godzilla suit's head, because Subaraya wanted to negate the issue of Godzilla's appearance constantly changing between films. He created a, he had, he requested the creation of a mold of Godzilla's head for, from that suit. Right. Okay. And this mold was actually used all the way up until 1968 with destroy all monsters. However, the head still <laughs> kept changing anyways because they kept adding additional layers onto the base shape <laughs> which is why the head ends up looking different even though it's actually the Mothra vs. Godzilla mold hmm. which is something that not a lot of people talk about 
but is referenced in the Godzilla History of Formative Arts 1954-2016 book from Pi International. Interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's not talked about a lot. (laughs) So, okay, so that means, so the body was new. Yes, the body was new. But the head... The head is is a is like the base is the mold from the Mothra vs. Godzilla suit, but it's been modified so like the position of the eyes is different. They're also larger, right? And it was just a lot of additional sculpting on top, essentially. A lot of people like to call this this Godzilla suit the Cookie Monster Godzilla. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting about that whole thing that you just said is in in Ultraman, they would yank the 66 suit's head off and 65. put it on the 60, oh, 65, 66, it's the same suit. Yeah. Uh, they would yank that head off and put it on the 64 suit to make Jiras. Yeah. Or Gomez. No, it was Jiras. Gomez was the 64 head. Was it? Yes. Because, oh. so Gomez was the 64 suit in its entirety. The issue was when they went to repurpose the suit for Ultraman, the head was basically like you couldn't go back from that alteration. So what they did is they took the head off of it, put the frill on to cover the extension they had to create to put the 65 suit on, and that's how you got Jiras. But what's interesting is the Godzilla suit for invasion of astro monster would go on to be used in ebra and they used it in the water sequences for destroy all monsters yeah so this suit ended up having a life of uh three three years which is actually a pretty decent amount of time considering i think for a show uh, suit right because king kong versus godzilla's lasted two years and then 64's lasted a grand... I mean, the body lasted a total of two years. Mm-hmm. So this and the 68 suit are the longest surviving suits of oh, that time Oh, and the 67 period. suit. The 67 suit is used in Gigan as well. Oh, that's right. So that would mean the 67 suit because that was it's a five-year... Yeah. Yeah. That's right. So, uh, speaking of reusing suits, Rodan and Ghidorah would be the same suits from the Three-Headed Monster. Uh, Ghidorah, With slight they, modifications. Yeah, Ghidorah especially, they repainted and redid the scales and whatnot. So it was a little yeah, different. Lengthened the next two. Mm-hmm. And Rodan, they would later... I think they only slightly retouched the wings. Yeah. And in Ghidorah, they would end up uh, redoing, uh, repurposing again in Destroy All Monsters, doing some more adjustments. Right. Um, they even made a giant Godzilla foot for the close-up sequences. <laughs> yeah. Um, which is not the only time they did that in the franchise. They also did that yeah. in 1984. 84. Yeah. Um, so getting back to the movie, now that we've... We we went into a very interesting corner here. Um, <laughs> the humans decide to fight against the Exilians. They uh, Tetsuo or Glenn. Glenn goes searching for Miss Namikawa. Mm-hmm. He ends up at the cottage and gets trapped 
and is united with Tetsuo. Yeah, after Mr. Namikawas dies, giving him the secret to how he can fight the Exilians. Right. Where during Miss Namikawa's death, we also get the the quote of the century. <laughs> you you rats, rats. You dirty, you stinking, stinking rats. rats. Perfect. 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 Um, hey, I don't make the rules, but this is peak cinema. Peak cinema. Um. So, while Tetsuo and Glenn are stuck in the cell... Tetsuo discovers a note that fell out of Glenn's pocket from Miss Namikawa where she reveals that it's loud noises. That's what... At a specific frequency. At a specific frequency. And that's why they wanted the Lady Guard alarm was it was at the perfect frequency to mess with the Exilians. Right. This is where Tetsuo saves the day using Mm -hmm. his Lady Guard alarm, getting the people, the... uh, the exilians that are watching them, holding them captive, getting them uh, into the cell, getting out of the cell, getting out of the cottage, and escaping. Mm-hmm. And after this, they swim presumably many, many, many miles to eventually meet up with Fuji and Dr. Sakurai, whom are trying to develop a a laser type weapon that will you fight against essentially block the magnetic waves that the exilians are using to control the monsters right and we get they, ultraman specium ray as well mm-hmm. um and so correct me if i'm wrong here but during the sequence as they're discovering uh how how to combat the Exilian invasion force. Uh, The Exilians end up deciding that they're not going to give the Earth any more time, and they just start the attack. Right. Yeah, because the computer Um, says it's having some issues. (laughs) So from here, we get a rampage sequence between Godzilla, Ghidorah, and Rodan on Japan. Right. Ghidorah's already apparently destroyed the United States. Yep. Um, The world is ruined. And the war is already lost. Uh, a lot of stuff from this movie would be later reused for Final Wars, just in a little bit of a different context, mm. um, which would make sense because the Exilians I mean, were in both. I mean, Final Wars, they even sort of kind of jab at the whole charade not making sense with like the Exilian, the, con- the controller of that film, Kazuki Kitamura's character taking over and not just questioning the original leader of the Exilians. What's what's the point of this charade? We're gonna take them over anyways. Mm-hmm. That's actually a really good point. I never thought about that. <laughs> yeah, I only realized it on this watch that that scene is taking a is like taking a, I don't know if I want to say a jab, but pointing Wink at that the camera. Out. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, this whole sort of charade is basically taken from the Mysterians anyways. Right. Yeah, the, the Mysterians battle in outer space and Gorath, like I, I think I said at the beginning of this walkthrough, is is the basis for Astro Monster. Right. But especially Mysterians. Right. Mm-hmm. 
even having Suchia play the commander. <laughs> yeah. So the Exilians start the attack. We get some awesome footage of Godzilla, Rodan, and Ghidorah destroying Japan. There's some stock footage from Mothra, from Rodan, and Ghidorah the Three-Headed Monster that are sprinkled in here due to... Uh, and even a little bit from Mysterians. Mm-hmm. Um, this was due to budgets being cut. This was the first time this really was a thing. Um, right. They actually had to blow up the footage for Rodan because it was a 4.3 Academy aspect ratio. And yeah. Astro Monster was in uh, widescreen. Yeah. So they had to blow up the footage. And it's a little obvious that it's older footage. Um, yeah. It doesn't it's entirely line up. Yeah. Yeah, it just looks grainier. <laughs> um, and, the, and the color is a bit different, too. Right. I think they tried to mask it by flipping the footage occasionally, but it... it I it, think it, so. It didn't really work out entirely. Yeah. Um, but we, I mean, we it's get... it's probably the, one of the less egregious yeah. uses of stock footage in uh, Showa Godzilla film. <laughs> right. And but the unfortunate part is everybody working on this film knew that that was going to be the future. So they were mm. all it was kind of like this impending doom of like we're getting less money, so we're going to have to do this and people are going to complain. Right. Um there's once though there is one sequence during this rampage. It's a shot of Ghidorah flying through the city after some three-headed monster stock footage. And you don't get all of Ghidorah. You just get the back part of Ghidorah because a building is blocking the rest of of the suit. And it's mm -hmm. this low angle shot angled up. And you just get the tails of Ghidorah flying through the city. And I don't know why, but this this like two second shot for me is the best shot in the entire movie when it comes to the kaiju action. It's It's very well staged and i love the depth of field and i love how this whole scene is filled with stuff it feels very crowded but it feels very big and it definitely mm. feels like Ghidorah is this powerful being that is destroying the the, the city mm. i mean this whole rampage bit is just really fun even with the stock footage mm-hmm I mean, the cinema, I, I don't know if I've said this already, but the cinematography throughout this entire movie is great. Both the human stuff oh, and the yeah. kaiju. <laughs> and following this, we have the military march from 54 return with yes. the military ready to fight the Exilians with their magnetic field rays and their Lady Guard alarm and... They go to town. They they mm. they combat the Exilians. They end up uh, making the Exilians lose control of the monsters, and they cripple the Exilians to the point where they have to escape to the dimension of which they've not been to before. Mm -hmm. Which, did they escape, or did they just blow up? I feel like it's left to the audience, I guess, to decide. Whichever one they want to believe. Because that I was like, I, I can't tell. Did they escape or did they not? Mm. It's just kind of left to the audience, really. <laughs> yeah. But once once they blow up and everybody is happy, like we've won, 
uh, Ghidorah, Godzilla, and Rodan are like in shock because their brains have just been melted, essentially. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but they all come to, and we get a final fight that ends with Godzilla, Ghidorah, and Rodan all falling into the ocean, with Ghidorah merging and flying off into space. Godzilla and Rodan. I say, even though I complained about it being short, I, I do love this. I do love this battle. <laughs> I, I do just think too. it's really fun. And it's really, I like the idea that Ghidorah is the only one that, like, emerges. And mm. they even, like, in the movie, they're like, is Godzilla and Rodan alive? Are they safe? And uh, Kirokubo's character says, they couldn't die, they're too tough. At least in the American uh, English dub. Right. But I love that. I, I love the little, like, there's no way that these these monsters are dead. It's it's comforting to the audience who are rooting for Godzilla and Rodan. Yeah. I mean, Godzilla lives in the ocean. It makes sense for him. <laughs> right. But with this, the film's over. And everybody yeah. lives happily ever after. Glenn and Fuji are sent back to Planet Exo anyways. Right. To be ambassadors for what I don't know. Yeah. Apparently... So the dub and the subs say that they're ambassadors, but I was reading that what's actually being said is that they're going to actually just research. They're being sent back to actually just research Planet X, which makes more sense. Right, because there's nothing... that was their original goal. Right, and there's nothing to really ambassadorize because... And if there there's... are, if there are exilians left, then... Uh... <laughs> There's a whole nother problem. Part two. <laughs> so the film did actually really well um, mm -hmm. in the Japanese box office. It was the 10th highest grossing film in Japan mm -hmm. uh, in 1965. It didn't do as well as the past films, however, and this would be a constant trend that would continue to occur for Godzilla movies as, as time progressed. I mean, at this time it was still a, it was a noticeable ongoing trend. <laughs> right. Eventually would end with Terror of Mechagodzilla being the lowest in the franchise um, when it comes to live action films, at least. Um, in America, like I said, it, it took five years to come to America, but it had a $3 million box office, which pretty good, all things considered. Um, but at one point before AIP and UPA had their falling out, the film was planned for a summer of 1966 U.S. release. But like I said... After the falling out, things just kind of fell through. Right. So, do you have any more notes, or did you want to highlight anything else, or are we ready to move on to, like, our final mm -hmm. thoughts here? Let me check quickly. Final thoughts and rankings for, for all of our stuff. Yeah, no, I think I've covered all my notes. Okay. So, overall, Rex... I feel like this movie is I I I think it I think it gets a little too much praise. I think there's at least one Godzilla film by this point that's better than it, but I I understand right. why this film is praised. And I think it would make sense that this film is given the praise it's given. Right. Oh, 100%. This it's it's a great film. It's a, it's probably my favorite like 
sci-fi, classic sci-fi soap opera. Not that I really watch too many, but, you know, it's, it's just a really solid sci-fi film. Mm-hmm. Even and aside that's... from the kaiju element of it. And that's what I feel like. There's a background element of it. (laughs) Right, exactly. And I think that's what this film is more so. It's it's very much like Atragon. It's a sci-fi adventure movie before it's a kaiju movie. Mm -hmm. And I'm fine with that. I'm more than fine with that. I'm very much content with that idea. So, in comparison to the other films, what do you think... Where do you think this stands? Okay, so I have to ask, because we've been doing a Godzilla ranking for each Godzilla movie. We, we rank them all. Are we doing that ranking first, or are we doing the Kaiju Month ranking first? Hmm. Let's do the Kaiju Month ranking first. Okay. So let's just start from the bottom mm-hmm. of our list. So what would be your at the same time? <laughs> we'll we'll we're gonna pick ours each. So at number four for worst of this month, what what are you gonna put? X from outer space, very I easily. Agree. I agree. I feel I, like that was, that was a difficult sit. I yeah, it was it was difficult, and I feel like if, if we're just talking about Astro Monster, Astro Monster does everything X from outer space does, but better. Far <laughs> better. Um, for number three, I'm going to put Gamera the Giant Monster. I forgot I how, I, I forgot how boring that film was. Mm. Um, it's very much a undeveloped concept that, I mean, I think Gamera would gradually get, but this first film is not it. The first oh, Gamera definitely. film is not what the final Gamera is. Yeah. So for number two, what would Gap you put? The Triphibian Monster. I agree. Uh, that was so. That is the biggest surprise from this month. Oh yeah. Um, I feel like every time we do one of these months, there's it's, always it's like, like the overlooked one is like a the one we kind of expect the least from ends up being the big surprise. Right, yeah, because we did for October last year, Snake Girl and Silver Haired Witch ended up being like the highlight, the on mm. ring. Those two yeah. we got like highlights there. The World Sinks Except Japan was a huge highlight for me during our Kawasaki month. Yeah. Um, just because of how like interesting in- it was to talk about that film. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> when it, it comes, but it brings up when it came to uh, Star Wars month. I really found it interesting uh, how warning from space or war in space and message from space contrasted um, mm. and how war in space was kind of like the last ditch attempt to do this sci-fi space opera. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it just, it's, it, I, there's usually like, it just feels like every month we have a themed month. There's always that, that outlier that's like, whoa, that was not expected. Mm. Um, I don't mind. <laughs> I, I don't either. And I Gappa was definitely that. Gappa is a lot of fun. Gappa, like we went in. a lot in, better than I expected. <laughs> we both went in this to this month saying that Gappa was not going to end up on top. But it's number two. 
Like, yeah, that <laughs> I was expecting at best number three. <laughs> I agree. I, I was there, too. I, I thought it was going to be like Godzilla Gamera, Gappa X from Outer Space or Gappa may have ended up being number four. I was expecting yeah, that. Exactly. But here we are. Gappa's number two. Gappa's number two here. So I feel like we kind of gave it away. But number one is going to have to be Invasion of Astro Monster. Mm. It it is a really well done movie. Really well done. Yeah, it's just, it's arguably like the last, like, it, it is, as you said, like the end or an epilogue to like an era of this, like the early Showa Godzilla films. <laughs> and that makes sense because this would be the last time the original crew all were hands on working on Godzilla movies. Right, yeah. Because Honda would take and the a last break. Time they were arguably the last time pretty much all of them would be passionate. I mean, I mm -hmm. know Sekizawa lost passion for writing the for the genre after this film. Mm -hmm. um, Honda, Honda was losing interest. Honda lost interest, and he wouldn't come back till 1968. Tanaka mm. was there for all of it. If Akube would would take a step back till 68. Um, and Subaraya at this point would just simply be a supervisor for mark marketing purposes that would pop in every once in a while. Yeah. And, you know, and by 1968, Subaraya was non-existent on the Toho lot. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, it just from here, it, it was never the same. So this, you know, this this film is is a milestone. I would say this was the next milestone following 54. I mean, it's a very important film for the series. I mean, this is, you know, as everyone says, this is where Godzilla was firmly established as a hero. And it also is the first film to introduce aliens to the franchise, which would become a recurring idea for villains, particularly in the Showa era. Right. Because you would have the key locks, you get the the Space Hunter Nebula aliens, and the then Black the, Hole Planet Free, and the Cetopians. Well, the Cetopians aren't really. But you would have the Simians as well. Yeah, uh, I mentioned them. <laughs> Black Hole Planet Free. But no, but you do have a point. You you have a point. Um, this this film was the first for a lot of things, and the last for a lot of things. Mm -hmm. So and, that leads you know, this and this. Essentially, this story would be combined with Destroy All Monsters to create Godzilla Final Wars as well, essentially. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, this this film, like, rippled in, in the franchise for decades to come. Mm -hmm. So that leads me to ask, we, we haven't covered a Godzilla movie in a while, but every time we do, we rank the films. Yes. So we've covered everything from 1954 all the way up to uh, yeah. here. 65. Technically, we've covered King Kong, Godzilla versus Kong. Do you want to include that one? Nah. Nah? Okay. It's not a real Godzilla movie. That's gatekeeping 101. <laughs> so. Kidding. Mostly. I have my list ready. Are you, do you yeah. have yours? Yeah, I I, th I think 
It's going to be harder the more films we do, but I think I think I know roughly where I put this. So let's let's once again start at worst and make our way to the best. Okay. So at my number six, I have Godzilla raids again. I am in agreement. <laughs> I just the movie. It's it's the definition of a rushed sequel with no budget. Yeah. Yeah, it's just. It's, and, it's not a great film, man. And I'm going to establish this now for all the listeners. If you want to hear our thoughts, we're just going to kind of rush through this to get our list yeah. ranking. If you want to hear our full thoughts, <laughs> uh, check out those episodes. They're yes. all available. I recommend listening to all of them. Yes. Give us a few. So for number five, I think this is where we're going to differentiate. I'm putting Mothra versus Godzilla. Honestly, for now, I actually agree with you. <laughs> really? I just it's it's too slow of a movie. Raids right, again and Mothra yeah. versus are too slow for me. I find Whereas them really I feel boring. The next film on my list, which is probably the same as yours, is King Kong vs. Godzilla for me. It is. Where I feel that is just a bit more ent- entertaining. Mm-hmm. I like both films, but I just prefer King Kong vs. Godzilla at the moment, at least. I don't like Mothra vs. Godzilla. I I think King Kong vs. Godzilla is a good film. So I'm gonna, mm. I, like, that's why that one's there for me. Right. So maybe this is where we differentiate? I'm curious now. I'm, I'm really curious, because you're already <laughs> throwing me through a loop. So for my next one, what do you have, actually? I want to know first. <sighs> I think Okay, these next two are pretty close, but I think I'm just going to put Invasion of the Astro Monster here. Really? Yes. That's what I have. <laughs> wow. Why are you ripping off my list? Man? I'm not. I I I literally I, I, have I mine. I know what your number one is going to be, and I'm pretty certain it's the same as mine. I have lit- I literally just wrote mine out like five minutes ago. <laughs> wow okay so i didn't even write mine out i'm just going off what what my thoughts are <laughs> i i had to write mine out so i could keep it straight so we already have talked about astro monster we don't need to talk about it again and summarize it mm-hmm. so number two godzilla 1954 wow okay <laughs> I put number two as 54 as well. I I mean, it's yeah. just, it's a brilliant film. Um, It's a great film. Like, can't undersell that. Like, but there's a reason it's known the world over. Exactly. But man, do I just love Ghidorah, the three headed monster. Yes. Number one, Ghidorah, the three headed monster. I, I cried while peak, watching that in theaters. Peak Showa Godzilla, literally the definitive fight for a Godzilla movie. I will say the one advantage that Astro Monster has over all these other movies is it's the Nick only Adams. Japanese Godzilla film I've seen in fitness. That too. Oh. That too. Well, I would I'd say Nick Adams is pretty high over a lot of this, but that that's that's true as well. That's true. See, it's interesting because so I've seen Ghidorah in fifty four in theaters. I'm about to see Raids again in theaters. 
So Moth reverses, King Kong versus, and Astro Monster are going to be the only three out of what we've covered that I haven't seen in theaters. Right. So lucky. Yeah. I wasn't expecting this. <laughs> we we agreed on both of our lists to a T. Oh my god. That's right, actually, both. <laughs> Well then, usually it's not that. Usually one of ours is switched. Hmm. How dare you rip off my opinion? I had the opinion first. No. That's just gaslighting. <laughs> well, before we go down the gaslighting rabbit hole, I just want to say thank you to everybody who has followed us through this kaiju month. It's been a lot of fun to cover some kaiju. I know we really yes. haven't. Um, but it this, or not, we do like giant monsters. We do. We do like giant monsters, and I'm excited to see what other content we can bring you guys. Um, you're going to be getting this the last week of July. So by this point, Godzilla Zero, we know a lot more about it. We'll mm. be covering it in a very, very, uh, s- like soon bonus episode. So you can hear our thoughts on that. Uh, you know, G-Fest has happened. You'll hear my thoughts on that. And we will, we'll have, we're going to have a bonus episode coming out soon, covering a lot of the stuff that has come out, but we don't know about entirely. So Mm. you have that to enjoy. If you are jumping in with this one, Definitely go back and listen to our other Godzilla episodes. We have uh, Godzilla vs. Kong. We have three episodes on that. 54, Raids Again, King Kong vs. Mothra vs. and Ghidorah, and now Astro Monster. We covered all this month was kaiju movies. So Gappa, we've covered Death Kappa earlier this year. The X from Outer Space, Gamera the Giant Monster. Um, we covered Kaiju Mono and Monster Seafood Wars earlier this year. Last year, we did Howl from Beyond the Fog and Day of the Kaiju. We we have a good amount of Kaiju movies. So if you wanna, if you're here for the Kaiju, we got plenty of that. Stick around for the Tokusatsu because we also got a lot of that as well. So with that, we're gonna wrap things up here for Kaiju Month. Hopefully, August. I. I'm pretty sure August is also a busy month for us, so stay tuned for all the exciting content we have coming in August. Um, Mm. I wonder what we could be doing. I wonder, too. It's almost like there's a schedule that I could look at and and tell everybody everything, but (laughs) you're going to have to find out as it comes out. So Mm. if you enjoyed listening to this, Think about supporting us. And to find out where to support us, Rex is going to take it away with where you can find him at. Well, dear listeners, you can find me on YouTube at Rexena, on Twitter at Rex underscore Xenomoth, and on Instagram at Rex underscore Xena. And if you want to check out some, and if you want to read some of my writing, go check out the Tokusatsu Network. As for me, hi, I'm Elijah. You can find me on Twitter at ET13Productions, on Instagram at ET13Productions, or on YouTube at ET13Productions. In less than a week, 
my short film, SOS Seek Shelter, a G-Fest competitive short film, will be coming out to YouTube, so definitely check that out when it goes live. Um, by this point, I'll know if I won or not, so we'll <laughs> see. I'm sure you guys will hear about it in the quite literally the next episode. You will hear about it either way. So if you want to support me, check that out. If you want to find my personal socials, I won't link them, but it's pretty easy to find them. As for the podcast, don't forget to rate us on iTunes. That boosts our ratings and helps us get recommended to more people just like you. If you don't have an Apple device, which I don't blame you, I don't. Actually, that's very much why I'm quite literally reading this off of a MacBook to do this podcast. But you can rate us on Spotify. We've had five people give us a five star. Highly appreciate it. Please keep getting those five stars. It's it's very much appreciated. We do we we appreciate that and we can't thank you guys enough for that. If you want to stay up to date with all things Kaiju Conversation related, follow us on Twitter at K-A-I-J-U underscore C-O-N-V-E-R-S. If you don't have a Twitter, you can follow us on Instagram or like us on Facebook. I don't know if we're going to do the whole threads thing that's becoming popular. Um, I already struggle enough trying to cover the three social medias we have. <laughs> if you're like me before podcasting and you don't have any social media, lucky you. You can email us at kaijuconversation at gmail.com, all lowercase, all one word. You know the drill. And as always, we'll read your reviews on air for everyone to hear. We also have a Teespring store. Eventually, we'll have original artwork. But until then, you can sport our awesome logo on a t-shirt or maybe even a coffee mug. If you'd like to chat with us, check out our Discord server full of others that have similar interests to you. Recently, it looks like there was a discussion about drumroll, please. Ring and somebody uh, checking it out for the first time. So definitely, did I miss this conversation? Huh? Did I miss this conversation about Ring? Uh, it was just one of our users bringing up how he was uh, rented Ring and he was going to watch it for the first time. So. Ooh. It's a great community full of great people talking about a wide range of tokusatsu topics. And don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel and hit the bell so you can be notified anytime we upload a video. Sometimes we post exclusive to the channel like bloopers for these episodes or minisodes talking about news or other subjects. We also have an interview with Mechagodzilla designer Jer Jared Kurchevsky on the channel. I definitely butchered his name there and I really apologize for that one. As always. And a huge thanks to Rex for editing all of these episodes and all the other content we upload. His links can be found in the description below. Along with Rex, we'd like to give a huge thanks and shout out to Danny DeMana of the Godzilla Novelization Project for his amazing vocals on our theme song. You can support him by following him on Twitter at Danzilla93 underscore GNP or visit his website GodzillaNovelizationProject.com. And a huge thanks to Grattan Conwell from the podcast Giant Monster BS for composing the music for our theme song. You can support him by following the podcast on Twitter at Giant Monster BS or on any podcast platform under the name Giant Monster BS. And with that, we're going to wrap things up here for Kaiju Month. So thank you guys so much for listening. And as always, please remember, life's too short to not talk big. Bye, guys. Bye.
We are set, we are in debt, there's nothing to sweat. Life's too short now, baby. Just a lot to think now. Too now.